Well, hello there. Welcome to Talking with Tigglesworth. My name is RJL Tigglesworth, and I'm at your service. If you want to contact us, info at freedomwithintherapy.com, Twitter at vet underscore therapist, and Facebook at Freedom Within LLC. Mike and I are so glad you joined us today for this episode of Talking with Tigglesworth. You have a good day now, yo. Well, hello there, and welcome to the show. My name is Colonel R.J.L. Tibblesworth, and I'm at your services. And today, Mike and I have got a great show for you, and we want to introduce a very, very special guest. And we're going to talk about lots of things with the military and civilians and traumatic brain injury in a book and all sorts of things. So let me introduce Mike. Mike, come on and get to the show. Well, hello there, Colonel. Thank you for joining us today, and we have a great show for you. We're going to talk about traumatic brain injury, as the colonel said, and we're going to talk about um, a book called Turn the Lights On, and we're going to talk to the author of that book, and what is she doing for veterans and the military community and the medical community and all sorts of things. So let me start off by saying, what have you been doing for self-care? And for me, self-care has been the same as the last three weeks. It's been getting this baseball team together, the North Shore Braves. We're about to start our tournament season in another week from now. And it's been so cold that I have not done any fishing lately. So if you've listened to the show, you know I do a lot of fishing, but not this week, not last week. It's just been so cold. Hopefully those fish are alive and I get out there. Uh, So we're also going to ask... The author of this book, Dr. Chris Ann Gordon, we're going to ask her about her self-care regimen, and we're going to ask her a bunch of other questions that we have to learn more about traumatic brain injury, who it impacts, who it affects, uh, how we can get some help, and all sorts of things like that. So let me introduce Dr. Chris Ann Gordon, or as she likes to be called, Dr. G, and uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing just great. Thank you so much. It is so great to be here. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me from here in the frigid knot to to talk to y'all down there. So I really do appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Oh, we love it. We love talking to y'all Yankees up there. (laughs) Tell you what. So tell us a little bit about yourself. And I don't know if you've heard the show before. Uh, You and I have known each other for, uh, I don't know, maybe eight, nine years now. We met when I when I worked in the former formal world in the nonprofit world and uh you came down or you came up or you came west I guess to uh to Washington Seattle area and we talked a little bit about research and, and all sorts of things like that. So what do you do for self-care on, on an average basis? Well you know um I do a lot of things and I do them very regimented. You know, as we had talked about when we first met, if somebody's recuperating from a traumatic brain injury, which I say is like it's a yearly recovery. Every year you're doing new things to try to keep your brain, you know, intact and moving. So just like you would do your body. And I have, you know, two ways of doing that. My keep my brain kind of together by uh, every morning. I start off the morning with meditation, you know, and I do transcendental meditation. Uh, every evening I do mindfulness. So I do two forms of meditation to kind of quiet down the brain. 
reconnect the brain to the frontal lobe so that I can make better decisions. Um, and that's what I do for my mind. I also uh, am a person who loves to pray. And if you know what pray means, it means to, to listen, to set a trap for what you're supposed to do. And I did that really pretty well, which is very unlike my former self before the traumatic brain injury. Uh, for my body, I also exercise every day, 30 minutes every day, alternating um, kind of the cardiovascular versus the weightlifting. And uh, even as I approach my seventh decade here on earth, I still uh, enjoy doing weightlifting and uh, do that about three times a week. So um, the biggest thing that we even tell our, our traumatic brain injury patients, and now we tell the nation who's locked in is to try to keep a schedule, you know, go to sleep at about the same time, get up at the, about the same time, exercise, do your work, keep your mind going, do things as a family, uh, and really kind of get into a routine that does not include, you know, fast food or, or, you know, uh, kind of that comfort food of chips and dip all the time, uh, and, and, and just kind of think healthy for probably the first time that we've all had in, in, in a long time. Wow. Well, a lot of our listeners are, are all around the world. We had some in Italy and Ireland and Scotland and all around the country. So uh, different people are having different routines. And I know down south, the food piece is a huge routine for us. So uh, we're moving into crawfish season now. So maybe oh. we can make some better choices with that. With Lent starting uh, yesterday with Ash Wednesday. Uh, it's going to be lots of seafood down here for a while. Maybe we can make some good choices. Maybe instead of frying it, we can boil it or, or steam it or something like that. I remember eating crawfish at Toothsay or something oh, like that. Oh, man, that's some good stuff. <laughs> very good, very good. <laughs> crawfish at Toothsay. So, yes. so tell the listeners, um, you know, all, I, like I said, I'm not Joe Rogan, so I don't have a million listeners, but tell the listeners what kind of inspired you to write the book, Turn the Lights On? Oh, you know, that's a really easy one to answer. So um, as you know, uh, might but your listeners don't, I'm a rehabilitation physician. I take care of people who've had traumatic injuries and my subspecialty is traumatic brain injury. So here I am, you know, knowing what I thought was a whole lot about traumatic brain injury until I had my own. And when I had my own, um, which is still considered barely you know, somewhere between mild traumatic brain injury and moderate traumatic brain injury, I realized that everything that I had learned helped me zero trying to get out of it myself. For one thing, you know, I could not drive myself to a rehab center. I couldn't drive for, for weeks after the TBI. And I could not make a left-hand turn for over a year. I mean, that's how much it takes of your brain trying to figure out momentum and distance and when you can make a left-hand turn. So what I realized is that we needed to do things kind of on our own to keep our brain alive. And what I wanted to do is to write this book to give encouragement and hope to the nearly 750,000 veterans right now from Iraq and Afghanistan who are struggling with mild traumatic brain injury, not to mention about 150,000 Vietnam vets, not to mention millions of athletes currently and former athletes who may also be noticing the same thing. So it's kind of a how-to book. In my book, I talk about my experience only as kind of a, a jump-off point for veterans who intermingle their stories with mine, about five veterans. And then um, as we had talked about years ago, because I've been working on this book for a while, uh, I was you know, contacted, cold contact from a member of the NFL, a former Texan 
um, Jonathan Wells, and then a couple NCAA stars as well in football. So it, it has a universal language, which is, yes, if your brain has gone down, we understand what you're going through and keep plugging at it because you will get better, but you don't do anything in this world without work. You know, anything worth getting is, is definitely uh, causes some work in, in the process. Definitely. And, and as you know, I, I'm a military vet. I'm an army vet and, you know, been to combat and all of the stuff that, you know, a lot of the vets of this generation and past generations have, have done. And, and, and we hear the buzzwords, right? We, we hear PTSD, we hear TBI, we hear, um, you know, all the other, all the other mental health issues, OCD, things like that, ADHD. So, and, and we just throw them around, especially us in the medical community, we throw them around like everyone else understands this, but until you experience it, um, it it's, it's, it's hard to, to really, to really understand it. So for the listener's sake and, and for you, someone who knows more about this than, than I, than I know as far as, and, and most people that I've met, you, you are one of the, the leading experts in this, in this field, in my opinion. Um, tell us what is TBI and tell us uh, how it impacts someone. Okay, I, I, I can do that. And you know, uh, I was smiling when you said about expert in this field. I think my expertise comes not from my years of training at the Ohio State University, which was uh, amazing training through one of the pioneers of traumatic brain injury care, Jerry Mishu, who is now the chairman. But it came much more from experiencing my own and trying to get out of it myself. So that's where my expertise comes from. So when we talk about a traumatic brain injury, we're talking about any injury to the brain that comes from an external force. Uh, and that's a very important stipulation to make. It's something that comes outside the brain. So in athletes, we're talking about, you know, being hit with the ball if you're a soccer player, you know, being hit with a puck if you're a hockey player or a stick, you know, or if you're in football, being hit by another player, you know. So when we talk about our veterans, we're primarily speaking about the blast injury, you know, and an improvised explosive device, an IED goes off, and this huge blast goes throughout the area and literally takes your your brain through a series of compressions and, and expansions and, and literally rips at the neurons within the brain. So all of the mechanisms are a little different, but they all come from an external force wreaking havoc on the brain. And that is the major stipulation from a stroke or something that happens within the brain itself, a brain tumor, a blood vessel ruptures or blood vessel clots. Um, those are entirely different things. Gotcha. And so if, if, if we have a vet or a family member of a vet who's listening or just anyone who's listening, because, you know, I think TBI is, is similar to um, the statistics or not, not, not the injury. The statistics are similar to PTSD, I believe, whereas I think it's more common in the civilian world than it's actually in the military world. Would, would you agree with that with TBI? Um, I think you would have to say percentage-wise, probably not. Okay? Numbers-wise, yes, but percentage-wise, probably not. When you think of the fact that we've had about 3.4, 3.5 million uh, military members deploy to the combat zone since 2001 when we began the, the conflict in Afghanistan, we now have 750,000 members who are having some struggles daily with traumatic brain injury and PTSD, the post-traumatic stress disorder. So uh, I would definitely say in the athletic world, 
you know, we have greater numbers, but the percentage wise, you know, we have a lot of football players, soccer players, hockey players. But when you talk about the rest of the athletic world, um, there, it, it, it decreases, you know, to major after, after those three major sports. Gotcha. 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 And uh, yeah, we, we, as you know, um, I coach baseball. So we, we, we do get training on, on head injuries and, and things of that sort before we, uh, um, before the tournaments allow us in, they want to make sure that the coaches have that, have that knowledge, but uh, we don't see too many traumatic brain injuries with baseball. I mean, there's some, I mean, you get being in the head, you're going to have some trouble, but uh, I think, I think overall baseball is, seems to be a safer sport in that regard than, than others. You know, it does, except for the fact that, like you said, when a ball comes at you at 70 miles per hour or 90 miles per hour and it hits you in a totally unprotected, you know, temple in particular, that's where so many, because, you know, you turn to get away from it. So the side of your head gets involved with that. And that can cause a lot of of trauma with with a bleed into the head that can actually cause it. And also that the chest is fairly unprotected unless, you know, you're the you're the catcher. So um, I would like to say so we're talking about then a baseball hard coming at you at you know, from a slow ball, 75 miles an hour, fastball, 99 miles an hour. That's that's quite a bit of force that would hit you in the head when you're talking a football player as big as these guys are looking, particularly when you talk about the NFL, because of some of the protective gear, um, it will hit their head at between 35 miles an hour and a 50 mile an hour speed. If you're talking a soccer ball, a header with soccer ball. And I want to bring this out to all of your listeners, particularly those who are playing women's soccer because they feel like that. Oh, you know, this is great to do a header. It's so exciting. That's a 70 mile per hour injury to your brain. And if we're talking about our young veterans in Iraq and Afghanistan, the blast injury comes at them at 1100 feet per second. That is an amazing, you know, source of ripping of the, the neurons. And you can understand how there are so many different types of injuries that occur in a situation like that. So I'm glad you brought that up because the, the, you know, force times momentum, you know, really does make sense when you think about what the injury is going to take to be rehabilitated. Wow. I did. I did not know that. That's, that's interesting. Here I am going about eating face house. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I know, I've been I've been hit before, you know, during my twenty days, but never never took a direct shot to the to the head. So I'm happy about that. So when we talk about TBI, we talk about the memory and and how it affects us and 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 our troops and and anyone else that has it. And and as you said, you have you have personal experience with this. So how did the how does it affect the memory as a whole, and how did it affect your memory? Yeah, uh, you know, my memory was affected uh, because I, I really, it, one of the things that I was always very happy about and literally said a prayer of Thanksgiving every day was that I had a brain that I not only loved to learn, but um, was able to learn. Okay. And by that, I say, you know, I, I could read something and pretty much get the gist of it first time around and maybe even memorize parts of it just at the first read. I will tell you that is all gone. I mean, that left the instant that I hit my head literally uh, head on against a brick wall when I kind of slipped on a, on a, on a surface. Um, so that left and it was very challenging for me because I always prided myself on my memory and now, you know, not so much. 
the long-term memories are usually preserved and they're preserved because they're in a more protective part of the brain than the new-term memories. And the same thing happens with our young veterans and our athletes with GBI. You know, the, the newer memories, not so what our athletes find is they have difficulty kind of learning new plays or learning new strategies, or they may have difficulty kind of figuring out if you're on offense, what is that defense doing lining up on the other side? You know, if you're talking about our veterans, they may have difficulties navigating. I've spoken to many navigators from Iraq and Afghanistan who were in IED blast injuries, and they come home after this, and they cannot even maneuver around their small town in Ohio. And they can't maneuver around it because the mapping part of the brain is very small, less than the size of a dime, and is very unprotected. So when you talk about memory, you talk about things that are protected and things that are not protected. What I want to instill upon your listening population and ask them to blast it out to everybody is when we talk about post-traumatic stress disorder, Post-traumatic stress disorder is actually the brain's way of protecting you from that exact same incident a second time around. Most often, people develop PTSD because they've been involved in a, a kind of terrorizing event, which oftentimes leads to the demise of somebody else around them or somebody close to them, or at least that they're severely injured and the person is severely injured themselves. So what the brain does is plays back that same scenario to you over and over and over. And what it's trying to tell you is, you know, if you get in that exact same set of circumstances, here's what you do. You do the exact same thing. It is actually a survival technique. That's why I get so upset when people talk about, you know, mental illness of our troops coming back. No, it's it's the brain trying to protect itself. And as I've told many a, a young soldier and Marine who may be very despondent about this fact, I said, you know, nobody who who dies in an incident has PTSD. It is a pure survival skill. Only those who survive the incident, and that's a that's a military term that I learned from you and from many other you know, incident. Um, anybody who survives it may have these things. And then it's just a process of retraining your brain to think around it, to override that circuit. You know, I learned in my own rehab that the brain acts purely like a computer. There is nothing about the brain that acts like a muscle or a bone that you're trying to rehabilitate. It acts like a computer, which means you can work at it, work at it, work at it day in and day out, and you will not notice any changes like you do when your bone gets stronger or your muscle gets stronger. You may not notice any changes for about six weeks or 12 weeks. And then suddenly in the period of about an hour, all of the systems are connected Somebody flips the switch up there and now you can do. I mean, I could not speak an, a syllable after I had my TBI until six weeks later when the first words out of my mouth were actually a very simple sentence, which was, I think I speak. I, but it all came out at once. And that's when I realized, I go, oh, you know, they didn't teach me this in training. You know, I didn't learn this in medical school, you know, that's for sure. So uh, it's been just a very interesting journey. And that's why I want to bring others with me on, on this journey so that they know they're not alone. And, you know, certainly if I could go from really reading and understanding to not reading or understanding a thing to not being able to drive, you know, it took me a year of three hours a day 
trying to rehab myself on my Apple computer and uh, and I'm getting ready to, you know, kind of share that protocol with uh, with them soon too. A year. Wow. That's, that's quite a while. So I, that was something I was going to ask you is, is, is there a, an expected time frame for someone who is suffering from TBI um, to have a path of recovery? And, and as we know, in the, in the military world, especially once you get out of the military and uh, you go into like a VA system, um, and 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 the colonel, the colonel, the colonel goes no, crazy when we talk about the VA because the VA's got they do some good stuff and they got a lot of stuff they got they got to do a little better. But uh, getting them into that system sometimes it takes a long time to even get a diagnosis of TBI. Um, so, from your experience, from you working with with um, with individuals who have been diagnosed with TBI. Uh, how long is that process, the, the process of finally getting the diagnosis and then the process of starting that path to recovery? Right. That's, a, that's literally an excellent question. Um, the first thing that I've got to say is, as with everything else, of course, uh, a, a quick diagnosis is imperative. But I will say this, in traumatic brain injury, that is the most imperative thing. The sooner that you can diagnose and start relaying down those pathways, um, the easier path you're going to have. It's going to take you less time to recuperate and you will feel better faster. Now, just because you've gone a long path, and let me tell you, I mean, I got passionate about this when I volunteered at our local VA in 2008 to do the traumatic brain injury screenings. And I could not believe that we had been in the global war and terror since 2001. Here we are seven years later, and I'm seeing young men and women who have gone years without the diagnosis and years without any treatment for it whatsoever. So um, I think that we definitely need to shift toward, you know, more frequent checks, better diagnosis early on and better treatment. But that being said, no time is too late to start. And everybody's journey will be different. Uh, what I tell you, I'm still learning things. I mean, my injury was in 1996. And I'm still learning things that I lost back in 1996. So as long as you keep that brain going, and, and I keep it going by, like I said, I mean, I do meditation to slow parts of it down. I read every day in order to stimulate other parts. And I know, you know, in my speech area, that was the most effective. And I talk to people like you and the colonel in order to, you know, help bring out this good news to everybody. We used to say that two years, two years of rehab, and that's it. Well, we were talking about stroke, number one. We were talking about an internal injury. And number two, we didn't have the ability to use computers, to be able to use, you know, I, I'm working on a system of um, virtual reality, brain health games that will actually, in the course of feeling like you're playing sort of on your Xbox, you will actually be rehabbing your brain in order to do that. And that's going to be our link to the future because our warriors from the battlefield to the playing field can do this at home on their own computers or Oculus. Um, they can do it for 15 or 20 minute segments multiple times a day. And that's how to rehab the traumatic brain injury, the external injury to the brain. Wow. Okay. That's, a, that, that's definitely interesting. And so when you talk about 
the screenings, um, if someone's if someone's wondering how how do I get the diagnosis? Is are y'all doing are y'all doing CT? Are y'all doing MRI? Are y'all just doing a paper screen? Like how's how's the diagnosis made? Okay, so I will first give just a little hint in the future. I mean, in the very near future, the diagnosis will be made by a blood test, a very rapid blood test in the emergency room or at your physician's office uh, that will show the, the kind of uh, things that are released in the brain upon a TBI. So that's coming soon. So sometime in the fall, we need to reconnect with the colonel. And I'll tell you about that. You know, it was all slowed down because of the pandemic, but that's coming soon. Right now, the most reliable source is the history, is taking a good history. And I think it's really important to point out that um, people who served like you and thank you for your service and the colonel for his service and your continued service uh, to your, your brothers and sisters. I mean, this is very, very important. Um, but I think that when you are in the service, you may go a really long time, have your history down pat as much as you can remember what happened to you when you do not have to be knocked out. Um, I was unconscious for about 20, 22 minutes. For those of you down south, I, I, I love football. I um, love the SEC and ACC. Um, and I was actually watching the FSU Florida game, which if you remember back in 1996, it was like number one versus number two. And it was really, really important. And I figured out I was gone about 22 minutes because I remembered what the score was when I went out. And I remember what the score was. I wrote that you know, when I got out. So it's just very interesting. You do not have to be knocked out though. You can be dazed. I mean, in your training, Mike, did you ever have times when, you know, if you're artillery, if you are, you know, in maneuvers, if you're jumping out of airplanes and learning how to become an airborne, you know, you get that dazed feeling a lot, don't you? I mean, definitely. I, my job was a, um, my main drive in, in Iraq. I was a, a fuel truck driver. So I drove fuel trucks all around the, the country and, uh, and yeah, we would we would see uh, roadside bombs, and we would have RPGs flying uh, here and there. And, and then when we was at the at the um, at the the port, so one of the places that I was at was the port of Mukasar over near Basra, and uh, we would constantly have people um, trying to shoot things over or whatever. So I, there was a lot of blasts per se. Um, yeah. I don't I don't I don't necessarily for myself remember. A time where my my I felt my brain rattle per se, but I was I was around a lot of uh, you know noise. Put it that way. Right, and that in itself can be a trigger for a traumatic brain injury. You know, so I think that that's really important. As you pointed out, I mean, a regular MRI, regular CT, CAT scan shows nothing, and that was you know kind of like. One of the reasons why I founded my nonprofit, the Resurrecting Lives Foundation, bring the person back, bring that brain back, because the VA, when they would actually go and get a test, would get a regular MRI. And it was normal. My brain CT and MRI in the emergency room, I could not talk. I could not see very well at all. I had no feeling on the right side of my body and my studies were normal. And I think that that was, you know, kind of in the divine providence of things. That was my beginning of my boot camp. Like, pay attention to this, you know, because all of my colleagues in the ER knew I wasn't faking. They knew if I wasn't talking and acting this space, there was a, 
which is why I became so incensed when um, everybody started coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan. And we were reading articles saying, you know, how many people were just trying to fake it. Trying, I said, there is no warrior who's trying to fake what's going on. And let me tell you, it's hard to fake being that kind of dulled all the time. I mean, that's really hard to fake. And then being given so many psychometric drugs, I mean, these psychotropic drugs that they were giving out of the VA, half of the people I was seeing were taking 19 pills a day. There's no reason for a 23-year-old. Otherwise, you know, these are the healthiest, most fit people in our nation who are going into our military, okay? There's no reason for that. And that was dulling their brains more. So uh, you really need to get somebody who really knows how to do this. A functional MRI can help. A diffusion tensor MRI can help, but those are hard to come by. But those are the kind of studies that the Veterans Administration Hospital needs to be doing. And I certainly hope that they will you know, listen to what is going to be possible in terms of blood studies, because we're going to have some blood studies for the acute mild traumatic brain injury, and some that you can get 30 days later, and some that you can even maybe get beyond that to tell what's going on in your brain. Well, it's all, you know, we, we, we look at, when we look at changes in the VA, in the changes in, in, in medicine, per se, um, the question that the government's going to ask is, how does that benefit us, right? And, and, and I, don't, I don't always know, or I don't always believe or feel that um, the VA is is uh, quick or not necessarily um, motivated to do something very new, um, <laughs> and and I'm going through this on on a past podcast because the system feeds the system, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you have people in need and and you help. Uh, patch them up per se and and get them on their way and they don't need you as much, then that takes away the security of that institution. And I think that um, whether it's community mental health, whether it's VA, um, big systems like that, the system needs to keep feeding itself. And by being more uh, slow, I think it, it, it ensures that security for them to survive. Um, I want to be wrong, but there's a lot of studies that have come out that the VA has not acted on, even though it showed promise in in different areas of medicine, whether it's TBI, whether it's PTSD, whether it's um, prosthetics, things like that. You know, I will say um, my big thing after being... um, after being there for several several days a month, I donated my time, and then after about a year, I was I was called into the uh, the chief's office and fired. And I said, "Well, you know, like, how can you fire me? I'm a volunteer." And he said, "Well, that's what's bothering us. You know, <laughs> we're not sure." I said, "Okay, so why am I being fired?" And and the answer was because you're diagnosing too many people with DBI. And I said, "Well, you know what? Like, I'm only diagnosing the ones who have it." So let me start with that. You know, I mean, the the Army and the Marine Corps and the DOD did the first level screen, which led them to you. You did the second level screen and led them to me. So there are two other groups that these people passed as having a traumatic brain injury before they came in my direction. And 
and I remember saying to him, I said, so, so this whole idea of don't ask, don't tell, it, it, it means everything, right? Don't ask, don't, we're not going to ask you if you got a brain injury, but don't tell us if you do, you know? Um, and I got to say, that's such a different concept. What you just mentioned is such a different concept than in civilian healthcare, okay? Um, because in civilian healthcare, we don't speak about disability, we speak about ability. When I went into the VA, everything was different. Well, you know, I'm here for my disability evaluation. I go, my God, you are like the fittest population. Let me tell you, our military population, if our nation wants to look to see how we can solve all of our civil unrest, look to the military. We are the most diverse population in our nation. And not only do you all get along with each other, listen to each other, but you volunteer your lives for each other. Like, let's pay attention to this. You know, it's a very diverse and it's a very healthy population. So why do you come out of your service two years, four years, six years, 30 years and want to get a quote unquote disability rating? You know, we should not be talking disability. We should be talking ability. You know, like when I talk to young vets, I'm saying, you know, when I think about my brain, I can say, yeah, it's kind of disabling for the fact that I can't read and remember like I did. But on the other hand, you know, I love podcasts like this and getting out and telling the story and trying to tell people, to, you know, to contact us and, you know, uh, get in touch with people who can help you. And I would have never done that in my previous brain. My previous brain never wanted to get in front of a crowd ever in front of a crowd, you know, one-on-one. Okay. One-on-five. Okay. Beyond that. No, you know, and here I am, you know, on your podcast, you know, going to Fort Sam Houston and talking to a group of generals and colonels and majors and, you know, saying, you know, guys, I hate to tell you, but you're not doing this quite the, the right way. You know, we need to make sure that that person who volunteers to save our nation and goes into the DOD comes out with a certain amount of injuries as a result of their service that they are taken care of immediately by a system that won't ignore them and won't be, you know, kind of four or five or 10 years behind what's going on. You know, in the VA, at the major centers where they have collaborations with Mass General and Stanford University and University of Minnesota and Tampa, I mean, those places, great medical care. But you can't say that you have no quality control in the VA. I mean, when I when I was there, they said, well, you know, you've seen one VA, you've seen one. I go, that's wrong. <laughs> because the injury is the same across the country. And everyone across the country deserves the exact same possibility of rehabilitation. Definitely. Just from experience, the VA... Every VA is different in, in that sense where it's when I when I lived in Washington State, um, I would go to American Lake VA and, and they operate totally different than the New Orleans VA, who has a collaboration with Tulane. And uh, and, and then the out the out clinics, the one in Hammond, they you know, they're part of New Orleans, but yeah, they do operate differently. And, and I, I, I work with vets that go to like the Shreveport VA and and, and uh, the Lake Charles VA and, and <laughs> even sometimes. Sometimes even the process to get referrals is different amongst the VAs. Right. And, and that's, that's for a provider, that's frustrating because then that makes it to where other providers, um, I, I feel I have a calling. My calling is helping military and military communities and first responders. But not every provider has that calling. So um, if, a, if a provider is, is, is put out to where they, 
it's more trouble to work with a vet, they're not going to work with a VA. And, and that's why we have so many um, backlogs within either VA or, or TRICARE, things like that, because a lot of civilian providers um, just choose to, to not have to go through the, through the process of, um, of doing that. And, and, and the paperwork is heavy and, and, and the diagnostic, the diagnostics they want is heavy and, and it takes a lot of time from the provider. So if, if, if they can learn from the civilian counterparts, cause you are right. I talked about that before too. You go to a civilian hospital, they want to hear about, um, what, what's getting better, right? What's getting better. And, and you want to tell them, hey, look, yeah, I'm going to have my knees feeling better and, and thanks. Yeah, you right. didn't. But the VA, like you said, if you go in there and if you tell them, hey, my knee's getting better or my my I'm, I'm finding that I'm having lost nightmares or whatever. Uh, it's 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 decentivized because then they send you in for that rating again. And then you might lose some of your compensation, which then people don't want to say. So I I personally said I've never met a vet who've gone into the VA and who's improved on anything because you don't, that's just the language that you speak. You never improve. And, 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 and it's sad, but it's true. And I hadn't noticed that. I mean, in our VAs, we have some, I mean, the Cincinnati VA here in Ohio is wonderful. Cleveland is good. The outpatient, you know, in uh, Columbus is good too. But again, it is, we need to go back and take a look at the underlying charter as to why the VA was founded, okay? And what I keep bringing up, and I know, Mike, this will sound really weird, but you know, back in 1919 or whatever, when the VA was founded, the medical care that you could get at any VA hospital was so similar to like Johns Hopkins or, you know, why? because we only had like aspirin, you know, we had hot packs, cold packs, or we had, you know, but now we're talking about medical systems with, you know, institutions there, you know, medical schools and a lot of research who are getting new treatments, new diagnosis together. Every few weeks you need to catch up, you know, so the VA cannot keep up with that unless there is that collaboration with an outside system. And I'm hoping that we'll get more of those. You know, definitely um, the Choice Act that was signed into effect in, in 2019 is now actually getting so that the providers in the civilian ward are being paid. They were my colleagues who I talked into getting into that, you know, we're not being paid for a period of time. Just like you said, the paperwork is like, oh, you forgot, you know, dash number 52 on page 12. You know, I mean, Come on, people, you know, we need to be in this together. The one thing, too, that I want to say about traumatic brain injury, whether it's mild or whether it's moderate, is there is no injury that has such severe complications so quickly. I mean, 40 to 70 percent of all individuals with traumatic brain injury, mild traumatic brain injury, will become a substance abuser of something within the first year. And you either want to turn your brain off by either a lot of marijuana or alcohol, number one, of course, or you want to speed your brain up. And that was my problem because my brain was acting so slow. Like I was drinking like coffee galore and 
chocolate and anything to try to get it to to be stimulated. So, you know, we need to stop that because once you get into any substance abuse, then it's only a matter of time before you're unemployed, before you're homeless, before you're incarcerated. And then we know this, that anybody with a traumatic brain injury, mild or otherwise, is at least eight times greater risk of committing suicide, of taking their own lives than somebody who has it. So that's why early diagnosis and early treatment to prevent those major casualties, which which I call casualties of war and casualties of training. You do not have to go and be in a combat zone in order to have a traumatic brain injury. When I've listened to what you all go through in boot camp, there are plenty of injuries as well. And considering, again, the fact that so many of our all-volunteer military are also athletes, you know, they may have had a predisposing traumatic brain injury as well. It doesn't mean that the eight blasts they got in Iraq have nothing to do with what's going on with their brain because you take your employee as you find him and her, you take them as they are when they come into the DOD and your responsibility is to make them as good as that when they leave. That's that's a good responsibility to have, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, what it, it's what employers in the civilian world are held to that standard. Yeah. You need to do the same. Yeah. I look at it as it's a, it's a, and I, I think that's what leads to a lot of the different organizations of, around like the Wood Aware Project and, 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 and others, um, you know, um, team Rubicon and, 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 and organizations like that, that are for veterans um, advocacy. It, it, I think the, the, the veteran, uh, the VA's inaction a lot of times does, open the door to more advocacy groups being formed, which is a good thing. Um, but I, I think you're right. I think when, when we, um, if they were more accepting, because it seems like it's a, it's a constant game of, <clears throat> you have to prove your worth. You have to prove that you do have an injury and um, you have to prove that, you, you know, you, you suffered this when they can honestly just look at your records and see what yours at and, and not, you know, not make you feel like it's a it's a battle to, yeah, it not to go be, there. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So. It, sh- it should not be. Um, and I would say anybody who's listening who has some questions about this, I would invite them because we do have collaborations with a lot of the other organizations that you were mentioning. And uh, the Three Rangers Foundation is very, very helpful to us and and has some good power in it, considering that it was uh, uh, General McChrystal's command sergeant major, Mike Hall, who helped found that. But if you want to contact us at resurrectinglives.org, and it's really long, or send us an email at info at resurrectinglives.org, we'd be happy to you know, connect you or connect you to services within your own area. But, you know, As you know, um, Mike, when I met you, I was pretty much starting out in Ohio. We had Ohio and Pennsylvania and a little bit of Michigan. But now we have been, particularly under the pandemic, we've been contacted by veterans from 28 states now. And that's pretty amazing, you know, because we are a smaller organization, a definite grassroots in the trenches kind of organization. And the people find us in the middle of the night when they're very desperate is an amazing thing to me. And when I talk to them and, and I get their stories and find out that they've tried 12 other places, you know, 12 and, and multiple times each and, and not been given a road to health, you know, we definitely need to change that. You know, we, we have to be on a mission to do this. And one of my big missions for everybody who's listening here, 
write to your congressman, write to your senator, say, okay, let's get off all of this past history stuff. And let's now finally move forward and get some things done for our veterans for, you know, again, listen to our veterans, because if you listen to them, you're going to hear how to administer health care, how to get to, you know, the civil unrest calm down and to get, you know, diversity and people sitting at the table and talking together. You know, I mean, we really need to do that. So write to your you know, Congress people, your senators. I still believe that a lot of good goes on, on, on Capitol Hill. It's just that it's kind of like the silent majority. now, And we hear the same people over and over on each side. OK, you guys be quiet and listen for a change. You know, yeah. let's get a few more reasonable voices in here to help out, you know, the rest of us. Well, that's a whole other conversation we can have because that's a that's something that. If we had more people involved in it, it we would have that diversity. Um, unfortunately, the way the way it seems now in politics is that if um, unless you got the money, you can't even get close to running. And so we can't get that diversity. We can't get a uh, a coon ass from the South like me to go run for office when I don't have no financial backing. You know, I got, right. I got a little small private practice here. And and, and 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 so people that that may have some ideas, um, their voice is really not heard in today's politics. Um, and maybe it's always been that way because we look at the founders and we say, oh, they were everyday farmers and stuff. Yeah, but they were still they were still. Um, influential at that point in time and in those days and so it, it wasn't as if they just grabbed the dirt farmer and said hey let's go to the senate i mean they, they still had some some influence and power and you know john adams and washington and all those guys but right. um, i think that's what we gotta do get the money out of politics but is that even a that's that's a point of the conversation but is, is that even an option that i don't well, at least i want them to be able to listen you know we took uh veterans to capitol hill yeah, we've been a 501c3 since 2012. We've been at Capitol Hill many times. We showed our first documentary there, Operation Resurrection, which is how we got our name on Capitol Hill. And we were very blessed that our Ohio Congressman Steve Stivers, who's now a major general in the Ohio Army National Guard, you know, was good enough to listen. And in that one showing of what the blast injury was causing, we were able to contact 121 congressional offices and 27 Senate offices. As a result of that, six weeks later, the first legislation ever pushed through that mentioned traumatic brain injury among our veterans was signed. Now, that's progress. What I've got to say is people quit being so, you know, one side or the other. You know, we need yeah. nonpartisan, bipartisan, whatever you want to call it. But we need to be able to get that to happen again, those conversations to go on again. You know, I mean... I, I'm I'm a big person who believes that the more you deal with hate and and continually bring it up, you're never going to go forward. You you will never go forward as long as you're looking backward. I think some some famous people had said that. But let's just you know, okay, stop. Everybody, be quiet for a few moments, and then let's all go forward together. And I think that there's a great possibility that happened. You guys taught me that, Mike. You you military members taught me that in that book, The Art of War, the yeah. ancient Chinese book, Art of War, in chaos, there is great opportunity. We've got great opportunity now. There is great opportunity. And one of the opportunities that, that the listeners can have, um, and, and I've seen it from experience, and, and you've, you've been so nice to, um, 
to send me, uh, I think four or five copies of your book. And, and you wrote me a little message in one and, and I keep that one for myself. And I really appreciate that. Uh, and it's a great book. And, and, and I've given them to several patients and who've suffered TBI. And one of them in particular was a, uh, was a firefighter and, uh, his wife would read it to him, uh, cause it was hard for him to read it. So yeah. his wife would read it to him. And, uh, they said that it really helped. It really helped them to, to find a different way to, to, to do stuff. And so what was the goal of your book? I mean, it, obviously I would, I would, I would assume it was to help, but when you were writing the book, what was the goal of writing that book? Oh, it was to help. Cause again, like I said, what I had learned and what I thought was totally wrong. And yet it was, you know, kind of the pathway to, to brain health that had been laid down years ago. And what I realized is that a younger brain uh, that is injured has a much different pathway than an older brain with a stroke. So that was the first thing. And the second thing is I wanted people, we have a lot of research resources listed in that book. There's a lot of stories by other vets. I want people to be able to find themselves somewhere in there and then be able to contact someone to get, you know, like I I tell my patients, I said, okay, you know, we're kind of like the eye of the hurricane. Resurrecting Lives Foundation is kind of like the eye of the hurricane. When you come to see us, you've been through one part of the hurricane and down south, you all not to know about this. You know, you've been through the first blast has come through and now you're in the quiet, you know, in the eye of the hurricane. It's quiet. That's when you're contacting us, your brain. I said, said, okay, we can get you out of here, but hold on because I'm going to have to drag you through the other eyewall to the other side. You're not going to get out of it without hard work, but you will get out of it. And that was the main reason why I wrote it. So uh, the book is Turn the Lights On. It is available on amazon.com. And this summer, that's why I had to smile when you said about um, the person having difficulty, right? Uh, We are going to be putting in an audible version just for that, because I've had many people, you know, kind of say, well, I can't read it. And I have it in the largest print I was able to make just because I have trouble reading regular print as well, um, but we'll be able to have it that. And it's like, no, no, guys, we're in this together. Let me tell you, we're in this together and we can get you out. You're going to take, you know, some hard knocks along the way, but you talk hard knocks to get here. Whether you were you know, in the military, whether you were airborne jumping out playing, saving people, whether you were, you know, two a days in football from the time that you were 10 until the time that you're now 30, you know, you've done hard work before. Let's do it again, and the rewards will be great. Absolutely, absolutely, and um, I'm glad you said the Audible version because that's I, I have a few books on Audible that I listen to, and um, and I and I just happened to search my podcast, and I was on Audible, <laughs> and I was like, ha! Ah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't make any money because it's a free thing, but right, right. I, the podcast has 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 traveled, and it's probably on. 40 or 50 different podcast platforms now. So it's, it's, it's awesome to see that, but the audible version would be, would be helpful to a lot of people. I bet uh, throw it on in the car and just listen as you, as you drive or as you, you know, work out or whatever the case may be. Right. And I think the other thing that I wanted to tell people is, you know, brain health, like all health is a lifetime 
venture. Okay. So, you know, I injured my brain, my 40 year old brain. I'm now in the, you know, 60 year old brain is very different than the 40 year old brain, but I still, you know, keep working it and keep working it. And, and you need to do that. So that I'm working with my Vietnam vets who are 70 year old brains, you know, I mean, and theirs is different than mine, you know? So uh, again, uh, I'm going to be talking to a couple people trying to get some great investor here. Yeah. You know, hello, Apple. Apple, I'm talking to you. I have a whole chapter about you in my book, you know, uh, to take this platform because uh, as Tim Cook said, you know, their biggest platform will be in healthcare. And I think that computers can really replace a lot, as we found out with the pandemic and telemedicine, they can really replace a lot of the, you know, face-to-face type training that we had that people couldn't get to, you know. So I think we're on a new era here. And I, I can't tell you how thankful I am to have the opportunity to, to speak about this and to try to get, you know, new, new people to understand and each of them with TBI to tell their families, the families to tell other families, because we are in the trenches with traumatic brain injury and we all have to help each other out. You're so correct. And that's the, that's one of the reasons I was so excited to, to get you on. Not only are you this, you know, world-renowned doctor and uh, an expert in this field, but you, you're you so down to earth. And, and, and the amount of times that you and I just emailed each other just to say hi and say, hey, what are you, what are you doing? What are you, you know, what's going on? And and just to know that that you're out there in, in Ohio. And oh, thank you for Joe Burrow, by the way. We, we really appreciate him. Uh, <laughs> but we, uh, hopefully he doesn't get his head smashed in over there in Cincinnati because, you know, I, we need to get that off. I, I know, just his knee, huh? Uh, we got to yeah. work out that rehab now. I know. Great, great person. Seriously. So, but the, one of the things that I tell my patients and, and because I do get a lot of patients who come to me originally for PTSD um, from wherever they come, whether it's civilian insurance or, or, or military. And, and, and as I talk with them and we learn more about the history taking, because even you know, just in mental health, history taking us is very important in healthcare in general. Um, and so when we do in the history taking, I often reference your website because the, there is, there is a lot of resources on there. Um, and, and they, it's good for them to see that they're not the only ones dealing with this. And, and you don't have to have, um, as you you know, you said your head hit the wall. Your head doesn't have to hit the wall necessarily to experience this, as we talked about. And so people kind of downplay it and say, "Oh, it's you know, I didn't, I didn't lose consciousness, or I didn't do that." But when they pull up the website and they start reading the different resources, or they might read some of the some of the stories, or or they look at other things out there in the web about TBI, um, it really opens that door that it's okay that I may have this, and there's there's ways for me to. There's ways for me to get help. And really quick, Mike, I just wanted to jump in and say, you know, one of the most important things is don't dwell on what you lost. Okay. And that's one of the things that that's what the VA system does. You're disabled because you lost X, Y, and Z. Dwell on what you got. Okay. What you have now. Okay. So I don't have my scientific brain. Okay. But I definitely have a much more creative brain than I ever did. And I wanted to tell you, audience, I mean, we're working on our second documentary, which will be entitled Brainstorms. It's going to be produced by Tiny Apples, which is Julie Pacino's team. Well, going to be released in the fall. And it's going to be showing what a chaotic brain looks like from the inside out. 
So to hopefully, you know, more and more people will be able to see that. That's how I feel. Or that's how I think my brother, that's what he explained, you know, so that you can actually see it. We need to get more information, more awareness, and we need our veterans to pull on what remains in their brain. I can't wait to hear that. And all the stuff that's going to come with that, because we're going to have to get together in the fall to, to talk about that. Absolutely. That sounds great. How can people interact with your foundation if they want to donate, if they want to volunteer, if they want to do anything else with your foundation? Oh, okay. There's there's plenty of ways to do that. We really appreciate it. And probably the best is to shoot us an email at info at resurrectinglives.org. Um, if you go to our website, and we're redoing our website for, you know, March, next month being National TBI Awareness Month, uh, we'll be making it much more interactive. And we found that to be a very important thing under the pandemic you know, kind of constraints. Um, so you can go on there and donate if you want. You can ask us any question. We have lots of things going on. We have groups of veterans that are exercising and we have a, a bicycling program with Doug Shivington, who is um, ranked, I think, 12th in the world in, you know, kind of the ultra cycling in his age group. I mean, we have that. We have another group that's working on the power of Pacino, which is watching Al Pacino movies because he did so much to the social, you know, to, to social causes and then comment on that. So you get your writing skills. We have other groups that are exercising differently. We have a group that's journaling what's going on with them. We have a group that's now getting mindfulness treatment online. We could even hook you up with any of these. They're all virtual. You could be anywhere. You know, we can get you started kind of see one, do one, teach one, see one, attend one, then get one started in your neighborhood. And that's how we're going to get this, you know, community by community by community. So um, there are lots of ways that you can interact. I really am looking for somebody who has some legislative background who can kind of look at what's going on on Capitol Hill and let us know when is a good time to come in there and, and present some, you know, healing ideas for the nation um, that, you know, I always say resurrect a hero, strengthen the nation. And that goes for our military members, our first responders, our people who are not having as much of a voice because they're busy in the trenches the whole time since a year ago when COVID-19 hit, you know, hit our nation. So I think there's a lot of good ways that you can get involved and we can certainly steer you whichever one you feel more comfortable in. Absolutely. And while you're over there, while you're on Capitol Hill, we need to, we need to advocate for uh, reciprocity um, across state lines for telemental health, because there's a lot of um, areas that are not being um, met. And just because we're across state lines, um, you have to be licensed in each state instead of just having a quick reciprocity process where we could say, hey, we're licensed in these these states. The standards should be the same. So why can't we just get licensed in your state really quickly? Right. And th there are so many that seem like very common sense, simple fixes. And we take 20 of those and our nation already elevates itself to being a much kinder, gentler, easier to maneuver. Rate. We just need to get it done and it shouldn't take that much time. You know, that's my thoughts. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So with, with COVID and, and pandemic stuff and isolation and, and all the other things that are happening, um, I think you, you got some good points where uh, learning to meditate. And we talk about that in my practice, learning to meditate and learning to just be with, uh, be comfortable with who you are and be comfortable with what you're doing and see the positives and what you're doing and not the negatives. Um, I think that life can improve and it can raise, 
raise the overall consciousness of the world. Absolutely. That's, I, I absolutely agree with that. And let me tell you, I really believe kind of inner strength of human beings and in the inner goodness. I mean, we see all of this contentious stuff on the news. I, I tell my vets that are really distraught about, turn it off, turn it off, because you're not hearing all of the amazing stories of courage that are happening in every community, every day, people working for other people in order to bring them to safety. Absolutely. That's why podcasts are so good, because you get to Yes, I know. I love it. I love yeah. it. I really I thank the Colonel for, you know, starting this podcast and then uh, having the foresight to bring you on board as the moderator, Mike. Yeah, he, the Colonel, he's got, a, he's got a brilliant mind. So I end every um, podcast by uh, trying to give a shout out to a veteran's business or a veteran's organization. And so I, again, want you to mention organization, Resurrection Lives Foundation, and, and mention what they're doing again, as far as getting in contact with them, the, the information. And I also want you, if you know of a, of a veteran's business in your area that somebody might listen to, that they could go visit uh, if you want to name them as well. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, we are the Resurrecting Lives Foundation at resurrectinglives.org, info at resurrectinglives.org. Um, we are primarily an advocacy for traumatic brain injury so that our veterans can get, and we include a lot of first responders now because it's amazing how many veterans are also first responders, you know, to, to get the best in healthcare education and employment. And uh, we've been around since 2012. We hope to be around some more. So we need some more members. And if we can collaborate to get you to help, that's really great. I will again mention the three Ranger, Rangers Foundation uh, that is absolutely and they are, you know, Three Rangers Foundation website is very helpful, particularly if you're a ranger to get you set up with employment throughout the nation. Um, and I'm trying to think of veterans owned businesses here in central Ohio. Uh, I know businesses that are very veteran friendly. You know, we have the Honda Motor Company that is here or employing 10,000 individuals in central Ohio. They are very veteran friendly. And the Honda Service Center, which is in Marysville, Ohio, hires lots of veterans, very veteran friendly, supports a lot of what we do. And I think it's that that give and take within the community that's really very helpful. I want to mention my business, uh, Freedom Within LLC. You can find me on Facebook at Freedom Within Therapy. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Vet underscore Therapist. And if you like sports and you want to follow the, the North Shore Braves, it's at North Shore Braves on Facebook and NS Braves 20 on Twitter. And I want to thank you again, uh, Dr. G, for coming on the show. And I want to get you back on in the fall and learn about the blood test because that's going to be a, a big boost in, in, in diagnostics for uh, TBI and, and hear about the, the new documentary and maybe even somehow we can get us a, a screening for all the veterans that I work with down here. Oh, we will definitely come to NOLA. We will definitely come there because it's a very important place to me. When I look at New Orleans, I mean, that's the most diverse city I've ever been to in the United States. And I absolutely um, love it there. So, yes, I will. I, like I said, I, I do like your football. I'm a Notre Dame fan, first and foremost, you know, Irish Catholic from the Northeast, of course. But, you know, I love Southern football. So, yeah, we will definitely. That's that's a given. We'll have a premiere there for you your veterans, your veteran community. Good, good, good. So next time you see Rudy, tell him I said hello. Okay, I'll do that. <laughs> and, uh, thank you so much and thank the colonel for me, okay? 
Okay. And I want to thank the audience for listening. And um, we're going to see y'all and talk to y'all next time. You have a good day now, Ayo. Call me the rain.